Hi, we're here from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about how dolphins and whales may experience the world as a group, why you go blind thousands of times a day, and why kids are more prone to grudges than gratitude. Let's satisfy some curiosity. If you didn't already think that dolphins and whales are cool, then wait till you hear this. They might experience the world as a group. What I mean by that is that dolphins and other creatures that use echolocation may share a bond that's beyond our human understanding. Here's the science behind this speculation. Dolphins and whales both thrive in the dark depths of the sea. And the reason they do so well is because they evolved to use echolocation to perceive objects around them. Here's how that works. The sea mammals emit high-pitched clicking noises that are focused into a sound beam. They pass through a fatty part of the forehead called the melon. If the sound beam hits something, it's reflected back and received by another fat deposit in the animal's lower jaw, then transmitted to the ears. The returning sound beam carries a ton of information back with it. The size and speed of the beam can tell the echolocator how far away an object is, how big it is, how fast it's moving, what direction it's moving, and how dense it is. Dolphins can echolocate an object as small as a golf ball more than 90 meters away, and the clicks of both dolphins and whales can travel a distance many kilometers away. All that data likely makes the echolocated things as vivid and real as the way we humans see them. What's more, studies have shown that dolphins can eavesdrop on each other's echolocation calls, which leads the eavesdropping animal to experience the object in the same way as the echolocator. Because of this, psychologist Harry Jarrison theorized that eavesdropping, also known as passive echolocation, might lead dolphins to share a social cognition where they experience the world as a group. He wrote that, quote, the communal experience might actually change the boundaries of the self to include several individuals, unquote. In other words, dolphins, as well as other echolocators, may share a bond that's beyond our human understanding. And there is other evidence for dolphins and whales having an advanced level of social and emotional intelligence. Some cetacean species, including some whales and dolphins, have a special type of neuron related to emotions and social interaction called spindle cells. These neurons are commonly thought of as a uniquely human feature that sets Homo sapiens and some non-human primates apart from the rest of the animal kingdom. Neuroscientists suggest that animals with especially large brains are more likely to develop spindle cells as a fast track for responding to emotional cues. These neurons serve as the physical wiring for empathy and social intelligence, so their presence in whales and dolphins suggests that these animals have a capacity to feel for others. That's on top of them already experiencing the world as a group. So maybe we can learn a thing or two from these sensitive sea mammals. So there's something weird that I learned was that, you know, you heard that the echolocating organ is called the melon, right? Well, that's in all whale species except for the sperm whale. And the sperm whale, they don't have a melon. Their version of a melon is what we call the junk. (laughs) (laughs) So neither of those words is all that nice. But we call it the junk, I think, because back when we were actually hunting sperm whales for their spermaceti and their oil, the junk was the part that didn't have anything valuable in it. And so they just called it the junk. Yeah, nothing valuable to us, maybe. Right. It's pretty valuable to them. It's kind of the way that they can get around and see the world. Pretty valuable. (laughs) It's all about perspective, right? Right. 
speaking of the way we perceive the world, did you know that you go blind for 40 minutes every day without even realizing it? Seriously. I'm talking about psychotic masking, which is a thing that's pretty important to have. Without it, our world would be a constant blur and we'd pretty much be dizzy and motion sick all the time. See, when you think about it, motion and human vision don't mix very well. Objects in motion look like blurs, and when you're moving quickly, everything around you starts to blur. Theoretically, the world should blur every time your eyes move. See the problem? So the human brain has evolved to prevent constant blurring. The brain shuts off visual processing while your eyes are in motion and restarts it once they're still again. That brief window of eye motion when your glance is darting from one thing to another lasts about 50 milliseconds, or about a thousandth of a second. That blip of time is called the saccade, and during the saccade, we can miss even major visual events like a flash of light. Less than a second of blindness might not sound very serious, but keep in mind that these tiny bursts of blindness happen thousands of times a day. That's just the price we pay to avoid chronic motion sickness. The thing is, there's always a gap between what you perceive yourself to see and the raw visual data that actually enters your eyeballs. Before you see anything, your brain integrates data from both eyes into one picture, compensating as well as possible for your natural blind spots and for the fact that you see much better in the center of your vision, or the fovea, than you do at the sides. With psychotic masking, your brain just takes a little more control of the visual editing than usual. And on top of that, your brain edits your perception of time, too. It essentially edits out the break in your vision. We trust our eyes a lot, so it's hard to believe that we just think our day-to-day -day vision is continuous. In reality, it's secretly full of holes. What a real eyesation. Research suggests some good news and some bad news. The bad news is that grudges come more easily to kids than gratitude. The good news is that it seems it's easy for kids to learn gratitude. This research concerns the idea of direct reciprocity. That's when you pay back those who have helped you in the past. Direct reciprocity has evolved as a moral foundation for how humans interact with each other. This may lead you to believe that it should come naturally to young children. But as reported by The Conversation, recent experiments suggest quite the opposite. Researchers designed a couple experiments to test positive and negative direct reciprocity. Positive as in, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. Negative as in, you stole my food out of the office fridge, now I'm going to eat your sandwich. To test positive reciprocity, researchers designed a simple computer game for four to eight-year-olds, where children interacted with four avatars they were told were other children. Initially, all the other children, who were really computer programs, received a sticker, except for the child. Womp womp. Then one of those avatars gave their sticker to the child. So then after that, the child received a second sticker, and that child was allowed to give it to any of the other players. The researchers expected that the child would return the favor and give a sticker to their prior benefactor. That one avatar did give the kid a sticker, so why not give one back? And yet, that's not what the kids did. The researchers then tested for the negative form of direct reciprocity with a different group of children playing a stealing version of the game. Here, the child's sticker was stolen by one of the four computer players. And then later, the child had the chance to steal a sticker, and sure enough, in this case, the child retaliated when given the opportunity, snatching a sticker from the thief with relish in order to even the score. But in one final study, a group of children was told a story about reciprocity before they played that same game testing positive reciprocity. 
another control group heard a positive story that had nothing to do with reciprocity. It turned out the children in that first group who heard the reciprocity story were much more likely to pay back the person who gave them a sticker in kind. In other words, it seems young children must learn the principle of direct reciprocity before they apply it. Perhaps then the reason there are so many fables about reciprocity is because the behavior doesn't come naturally. Instead, we need those fables precisely because it's a thing you need to learn. And now let's recap what we learned today. Today we learned that dolphins and whales might experience the world as a group thanks to echolocation. And that you go blind thousands of times every day because your brain edits out blurry movement when your eyes move around. And that kids have to learn gratitude. But fortunately, there are plenty of stories to help them do just that. Join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Stay curious. Stay curious.